Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. Hey everybody, this is Thomas, and we just got a $7,500 in Bitcoin, baby! Holy shit, I am going crazy! Thank you guys so much for all the support that you've given me. Thank you guys, thank you Broken Bill, thank you everything that you guys have done for me. I am going crazy how Tell them what awesome you're gonna this do. is. I'm gonna take, uh, today I'm taking $800, and I'm buying a 50cc scooter, I'm signing up for DoorDash, and I'm getting a job, finally gonna get a job. I'm gonna be able to go around and do deliveries, so all the haters talking crap about me not having a job i'm getting a job now all right <laughs> man it just feels good to hear about that it is 6 26 a.m central daylight time it's the 29th of march 2021 and this is episode 389 of bitcoin and who the hell was that anyway it was a guy named thomas who was homeless i guess hanging out in front of bitcoin mom's uh, marijuana palace uh, Bitcoin mom is Brooke, who is, I think, Jack Maller's stepmom. I'm uh, pretty sure stepmom. Um, if you don't know who Jack Maller's is, he's the guy behind LN Strike, and he's probably going to put Visa and MasterCard out of business sooner than we think. But for right now, um, it appears that Brooke helped this dude out, this Thomas guy, who is in, was indeed homeless, or right now is actually still indeed homeless, and jobless. So Brooke says, you know, meet our friend Thomas, who's homeless. He was bemoaning that no one carries cash to donate. So we set him up with a Bitcoin wallet. Feel free to send him a few sats. And she included in this particular tweet, and this was on March the 27th, him holding up a phone with a QR address, which meant that anybody could send him Bitcoin. And anybody did. Because now, in a string of uh, tweets that are or replies to her own tweet, Brooke starts uh, looking at the watch only address that she gave him, and it went from zero to let's see, what was it? 0. 0.019 BTC. And as you heard the results in the, the audio clip, the man is now going to get a job because he's going to have transportation, because you people out there were able to give him money. And I, I look, I'm I don't like the situation of the homeless any more than anybody else does. But the homeless will always be with you. You know, for those of you who are, you know, of the, you know, either, you know, Christian or just spiritual in a sense. You know, those are, you know, the words that Jesus said. And you can either believe or not believe. It's, that's up to you. But the sentiment is correct. The poor will always be with you. 
Right? He said that right before he said, but I won't be. He was basically about to, well, now that we are in Holy Week, I guess it's good to talk about. Um, he was basically just saying, hey, look, man, the poor is always going to be with you, but I'm going to die here in a few days. And uh, you probably need to listen to what I have to say. And one of the things that he said was, the poor will always be with you, no matter what you do. But now we have a tool to be able to reach out and help these people, if we so choose, across time and space that was never possible before. And Brooke, through just, I mean, just the simple act of going, well, shit, I'll just give him a Bitcoin wallet, was able to transcend basically built a transporter, a Star Trek transporter, so that we could all go visit this guy and throw him 20 bucks. And everybody threw him enough money that it was like $7,500 or something like that. This Guys, this happened within like 48 hours. Okay, this wasn't like over a week, wasn't over a month. No, it was within a couple of days and his life completely changed. As to whether or not he will get the scooter, keep the job, not fall back into, into, you know, destituteness, if that's even a word, is up to him. It certainly isn't up to us, but he got a shot and Bitcoin made that happen. Just, you got to keep that in mind, especially when people, you know, especially the, the, God, the bleeding hearts out there. Oh, you're boiling the oceans and you're so violent, Nick Carter. All those people are the same people that you just tell this story to. And say, if Bitcoin is so irrelevant and so damaging, then why did it change this man's life? Just, just tell him that. Let's get into the morning roundup. Kentucky governor signs Bitcoin mining incentive bill into the law, baby. There is no way I have a hope in hell of pronouncing this gentleman's name. If it's even a gentleman, it may be a female. It's a name I cannot pronounce. Okay, this is out of Bitcoin magazine. The governor of Kentucky... Andy Bashir has signed a bill meant to incentivize cryptocurrency miners to set up sh uh, shop in the state into law. The new law, quote, provides sales and use tax exemptions on the tangible personal property directly used and the electricity used in commercial mining of cryptocurrency and amends the state's utility gross receipts license tax to exempt electricity used or consumed in the commercial mining of cryptocurrency, end quote. The timeline of the bill shows that it was first introduced in the state's House of Representatives back on January the 8th. It was passed by the state Senate earlier this month and that it was signed into law on March the 25th. It was overwhelmingly approved by lawmakers in early March. <clears throat> the law will go into effect on July the 1st, and it is perhaps the most significant indication that the state is looking to attract more Bitcoin miners and related companies into its jurisdiction. As Bitcoin becomes increasingly de-risked through institutional and retail adoption, more states will likely realize that they can benefit from attracting the industry. Kentucky sees its access to cheap power <clears throat> as a competitive advantage in this realm. Of course, cheap power is always going to be that advantage which means that people are going to start looking for cheap power to provide Bitcoin miners. It's an incentive. And what's the cheapest, what's the cheapest electricity? It ain't natural gas fired. It ain't coal fired. And I don't think there's such a thing as an oil fired electrical generation plant, but if there is, it's cheap. It, that's not the cheapest one. 
No, man, it's renewables. The problem with renewables is they have this nasty habit of being stranded out in the middle of nowhere. And now it doesn't really freaking matter. You can throw, you can just helicopter, I mean, you could helicopter a, a mining container and a Jenny into the backwoods of Kentucky if you wanted to, without roads to go. Well, not that there'd be any stranded energy without at least a road, but you get what I'm saying. This shit's immensely portable. <clears throat> so it's going to incentivize countries, nation states, cities, municipalities, counties, whole states, you name it, man. If they can get their hands on the cheapest power available, then they've got, they're going to maintain an edge and be able to attract Bitcoin mining, which means industry, which means foundries, which means the whole thing is about to explode, guys. It's about to go, it, it's about to go like, what do they call it when a fission happens? Critical. It's about to go critical. So keep your eyes on the prize. Hold on. Don't try to murder trades, right? Just the, the advice on this show is always the same. You buy Bitcoin and then you hold Bitcoin, much like New Zealanders are going to be able to do here in a sec. New Zealand Retirement Fund invests in Bitcoin. The Kiwi Saver Grow Strategy Fund has allocated 5% of its money to Bitcoin. This is out of Bitcoin Magazine, written, written by Peter Chawaga, a name I can pronounce. The Kiwi Saver Growth Fund has reportedly invested 5% of its funds into Bitcoin. The program is meant to be used as a retirement savings vehicles <clears throat> vehicle for New Zealand's citizenry with tax incentives and age requirements similar to a 401k account in the United States. The Kiwi Saver Growth Strategy Fund has about $244 million dollars uh, that would be 350 million New Zealand dollars in total investments, according to local news outlet Stuff. <laughs> it's managed by wealth firm NZ Funds Management. <clears throat> Quote: Our Kiwi Saver is made. Sorry, our Kiwi Saver is majority built up through traditional asset classes that compound over time and give people the best retirement that they can get. If you are happy to invest in gold. You can't really discount Bitcoin, the fund's chief investment officer, James Gregor, told Stuff. <laughs> what a great name, man. The announcement is a notable indicator of how Bitcoin has become de-risked as an asset in recent months as large corporation or corporate institutions continue to divert their treasury assets to Bitcoin and traditional financial firms look <clears throat> to offer Bitcoin exposure to clients. It's becoming clear that the asset has a place in nearly every portfolio, quote, Bitcoin's price has risen sharply as overseas institutional investors had begun buying positions for their clients in a process Grieger told uh, called the legitimization of Bitcoin per stuff. Quote, the likes of pension funds were now able to invest in Bitcoin funds like those from United States company Galaxy Digital in which NZ funds had invested Kiwi Saver money, he said. So New Zealand getting in on the action. <clears throat> so here we get, you know, nation state level, you know, type of stuff. Because I guarantee you that the, the Kiwi Growth Fund is probably managed. I mean, we know who manages it, but it's probably in some way, shape, form, fashion, or another subsidized by the New Zealand government because they have a tendency to be a bit more authoritarian and totalitarian than other governments. 
which is a shame. New Zealand is a beautiful country. Um, it, it would be nice if, if their government acted in accordance with the beauty of, of their country. Now, Tesla, uh, Elon Musk apparently has been hired to Bitcoin's marketing team, according to Coindesk. Um, <clears throat> Elon Musk's Bitcoin marketing coup is the title of this one. It's written by Mark Hochstein, again, for Coindesk.com. Here's some free advice for the Honda Motor Company. Market your cars to the newly Bitcoin rich. I've already got the ad copy for you. A true Bitcoiner is building for the future and deferring gratification. She doesn't blow her hard-earned savings on flashy toys. She prefers a solid, dependable family car. And here's the slogan. Lambos are for losers. Hodlers drive Hondas. Okay, so I'm no Don Draper. It's doubtful Honda or any other affordable car maker would heed my suggestion anytime soon. It's different for luxury electric vehicle maker Tesla, which doesn't need to be told. It's already doing something similar. This week, the manufacturer began accepting Bitcoin as payments for its cars, delivering on a promise made in early February by its impish chief executive, Elon Musk, underscoring his faith in the currency. Musk declared on Wednesday that Tesla would keep rather than convert any Bitcoin it earns from car sales. Typically, the rare merchant that accepts crypto as payment for goods and services will swap it right away for U.S. dollars or some other fiat currency. That's understandable, given the price volatility and the low likelihood that a merchant suppliers would take magic internet money. But the Tesla chief said his company is, in fact, hodling. For the uninitiated, hodling is Bitcoin slang for refusing to sell a Bitcoin. And it was based on a, well, a whiskey-fueled rant, I do believe, on either Reddit or the uh, uh, the original Bitcoin oh, landing place. Where was that? I can't remember. It's too damn early. Musk clearly is one. In at least the narrow sense, having invested around $1.5 billion in Bitcoin for Tesla's corporate treasury beginning this year, over the last 12 months, the cryptocurrency price has soared nearly you know, 700%. As inflation fears, a self-perpetuating hype cycle, and possibly pandemic lockdown boredom spurred buying among individuals and institutional investors. Oh, for God's sakes, people. No, it's because it's good hard money. Uh, yet, while I'm sure Musk would be happy to keep growing Tesla's BTC stash one car sale at a time, I strongly suspect that this isn't his only nor his main motivation. Rather, my gut is <clears throat> that the payment option is at least in part, if not primarily, a clever marketing maneuver. Okay. First off, there's no indication Tesla is offering a discount to buyers who pay with Bitcoin, which you might expect the company to do if its main goal were to acquire more of the stuff. Also, Tesla surely understands Bitcoiners are strongly disincentivized to part with their sats, uh, yeah, that's actually true. This is partly for the reason I alluded to in my quixotic Honda pitch. Bitcoin is deflationary by design. There's a set amount, 21 million BTC, that will ever be minted. Yet, as it grows in popularity, denominating such things as luxury cars and Bitcoin end up hurting the buyer over the long run. While the price oscillates wildly from one minute to the next, if you zoom out the lens real wide, Bitcoin has generally appreciated over time, which encourages savings. Remember that pizza that was purchased for 10,000 Bitcoin in 2010? Yeah, that's worth $500 million today. Got, okay, I'm going to pause right there to remind everybody about this whole pizza thing. Okay, look, 
the guy Lars, I think his name is Lars. Uh, I can't pronounce his or I can't remember his last name. Um, he yes, he did in fact buy this pizza. You have to remember that without that particular purchase, and there were some alpaca socks that were involved right around that that same time. Um, we wouldn't know. We wouldn't have begun price discovery in meat space, and that was a critical move. If nobody had been the first to pull the trigger, we don't. We we honestly we do not know where we would be right now. I mean, he he started the whole price discovery maneuver for Bitcoin, and it was of critical importance because if he hadn't have done that, <clears throat> we might be at, still at a dollar. Okay, somebody had to initiate the system and turn it on. That pizza purchase turned it on. Okay, so, and also, by the way, the guy, Lars, or whatever his name is, he's fine. I've seen a picture of his house. He's okay. Why? Well, because he also happened to be the guy that built GPU mining uh, ability for Bitcoin. Because at first it was, hey, one CPU, one vote. You could mine on a laptop. It was possible back in the day. I wish I had known that or done that, but I, I wasn't in until 2015. And by then we had already gone past GPU. But in the, in the meantime, between, between the, the, the ASIC age and the CPU age was the golden age of GPU Bitcoin mining which can no longer be performed at any kind of scale with any kind of ability to actually be functional, okay? But during that time, this was, the pizza guy was the guy that, that wrote that shit, right? So he's not hurting. He's not crying himself in the, you know, in the bathroom all day long about the fact that he could have had $500 million because if he hadn't have done what he'd done, we wouldn't know if it was worth $500 million. Just please keep that in mind when somebody talks about the pizza. Continuing, also, in the United States, crypto is treated as property for tax purposes, which means that if you buy a coin for, say, a buck and it doubles in value and you spend that extra dollar on a cup of coffee, you are supposed to report the purchase to the Internal Revenue Service and pay tax on it. It remains to be seen <clears throat> whether Uncle Sam will go after every last Joe Schmo who fails to report a piddling purchase, but it's reasonable to assume that anyone who uses crypto today and buys a Tesla would show up on the tax man's radar. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> Even if a buyer can overcome those hurdles, Tesla isn't making it easy. As Coindesk Daniel Kuhn reported on Thursday, when paying Tesla with Bitcoin, a car buyer has about 30 minutes to complete the transaction or else the price in BTC expires and a new one must be requested. <clears throat> also, Tesla will only accept exact amounts and will not reimburse payments sent to an incorrect address. All told, even if you have very large bags of Bitcoin, it may make more sense to pay, pay with fiat whether, whether for a Tesla or a tall latte. Crypto is already obsessed with a car, the Lamborghini, but it's more of a joke than anything. When, where Tesla, sorry guys, where Tesla to become the true status symbol of this industry, it could move the needle by embracing Bitcoin or culture. Musk is likely to make more sales among that crowd than would otherwise happen, even if they're settled in greenbacks. Any extra Bitcoin uh, Tesla picks up would in fact be gravy. 
In the Wednesday tweet, Musk also revealed Tesla is running its own node, rather than relying on a third party to tell what's happening on the Bitcoin network. This is considered a best practice for advanced users, but it's also a signal to the tribe. I get it. I'm one of you. It's closely associating the Tesla brand and Musk with the ethos of the sovereign individual that animates the crypto community, not least of all the Bitcoin faithful. Think of it as a weird 21st century twist on affinity marketing, but without any formal partnership like the one my college had with a credit card lender in the 1990s, which led me to getting my up to my ears in debt from charging stuff I didn't need and couldn't afford. Gee, thanks, alma mater. I wish Bitcoin were around back then to set me straight. There is, <clears throat> there is also a less charitable interpretation of Musk's messaging that he is trying to divert attention away from bad news for Tesla. As Coindesk Moyo Shen reported in February, the big coming out party coincided with a revelation by Chinese officials that they were questioning Tesla about quality and safety issues. And this week, Bitcoin, uh, this week's Bitcoin announcement conveniently happened right after reports that U.S. regulators are scrutinizing Tesla's autopilot technology. If true, this explanation is not mutually exclusive with my hunch. Tesla hodling Bitcoin could be a cynical PR move and a marketing coup and a sincere adoption of an innovation in the world of bits by an invest innovator in the world of atoms all at the same time. Binary thinking is for fools. <laughs> it's far from certain if the marketing ploy, if that's what it is, will work. Quote, not quite sure if anything sold yet in Bitcoin, a Tesla representative told my colleague on Thursday. But for my money, it's better than anything Madison Avenue could have come up with. All right. Well, I mean, that's, that's one way to look at it. <clears throat> and who, here's the thing. You don't know. Nobody knows what the hell's going on in Elon Musk's mind. I mean, the, the boring company, Tesla, Powerwalls, SpaceX... I'm surprised the guy still has enough neurons to rub together to be able to walk across the room. You think about it. I mean, it, it got, oh, he's, he's got to have, a, you know, probably more, you know, he's, he's got his hands in, in more pies than that. Because he's sitting, you know, I'm sure he sits on as, you know, uh, like, like a member of the board of whatever for other companies. I, I really am surprised. If he's got enough neuronal energy to be able to, you know, walk around. So if you think that you've got a handle on what Elon Musk is thinking, why he's doing something the way he's doing it, you know, you're probably wrong. In fact, I think the safest thing to do is to just assume that you are, in fact, wrong. Now, if history is any indication, $200,000 Bitcoin is coming this year. Bitcoin Magazine's uh, Dylan LeClaire is writing this one. <clears throat> Bitcoin has been on a tear in 2021. And if history is any indication, we should expect Bitcoin to continue to run well past six figures and to about $200,000 and beyond in 2021. While the typical skeptic will shout from the rooftops, course, speculative bubble, and how there is no intrinsic value and Bitcoin is just tulips, these critics clearly have not done much critical thinking or research on the topic. To be fair to the naysayers, on the surface, it's hard to understand how anything that has appreciated 711% over the past 365 days can have done so without being the beneficiary of mindless speculation or a bubble that is due to burst at any moment, but the answer is simple. Supply is programmatic. 
The Bitcoin protocol has programmatic supply issuance, thus prices a function of increasing or diminishing demand to hold the asset. There is no variability on the supply side. This is a monumental breakthrough in monetary economics and is a concept that is ill understood even by so-called economic experts. Raul, whatever. Every 210,000 blocks or about every four years, the Bitcoin protocol undergoes a, a halving where the new supply of Bitcoin issued into circulation is reduced by half. This event creates a disequilibrium in the supply and demand dynamics that the market had adjusted to during the previous 210,000 blocks. Check out this thread by Creasus and Creasus underscore BTC on Twitter is a, uh, you need to follow that, that uh, account. Uh, for your own good, because he he gives great visual uh, visuals on the dynamics of that particular having event. While the having events are known about into the future, it is quite literally impossible to price in a supply shock in regards to a monetary asset. Boy, that's going to raise some eyebrows. In March 2019, Plan B, a pseudonymous Twitter user, released a model that quantified the relationship between the relative scarcity of Bitcoin and the price. Interestingly enough, he found that there was quite a significant correlation between the stock-to-flow ratio of Bitcoin and the price action of the particular asset. Plan B later revised the model to account for presumably lost coins. The updated model is shown below, and it basically is just the stock-to-flow model. It's just slightly different numbers. Now, quote, all models are wrong, but some are useful. George E.P. Box, a British statistician, is famously quoted as of saying, while it cannot be said that the price action is directly attributable to the having and the stock-to-flow relationship, it is extremely obvious that this is simply not a statistical anomaly or occurring simply by chance. The model predicts a rise to 100,000 plus in 2021, and in my opinion, that is just the start. As seen in previous halving cycles, with the halving Serving as a catalyst, the price run-up in Bitcoin brings about a wave of new adopters and users who come to understand the monetary attributes of Bitcoin. This works in a reflexive cycle. New adopters enter the space competing to acquire Bitcoin, which increases the unit price, which increases media attention and minor profitability, which increases network security and gives the asset more perceived legitimacy. This process has been occurring in a reflexive and cyclical fashion for over 12 years, and it would be a bad choice to bet on it stopping anytime soon. What is fundamentally different during the halving cycle is the monetary debasement that is occurring in the legacy financial systems. Major global central banks, mainly the Federal Reserve and European Central Bank, have painted themselves into a corner. Following decades of interest rate reductions to stimulate markets, rates are stuck at the zero lower bound, leaving them without a major tool in their toolbox. So the response, quantitative easing on a scale that was previously unfathomable, shown by a parabolic rise in the balance sheet of the central banks. Without the ability to lower interest rates any further, quantitative easing, or the act of buying bonds and securitizing debt with newly printed cash, has been the go-to response. This has provided a boon to global credit and stock markets and has served as absolute rocket fuel for the price of Bitcoin. Recent statements from both the Fed and the ECB have shown that they are committed to continue this easing. In the later months of 2020 and the first months of 2021, corporate and institutional interest in Bitcoin as a monetary asset exploded. The insurance industry, corporate treasuries, Wall Street banks, and sovereign wealth funds are all gearing up to enter the space in a big, big way. The bad news? 
A vast majority of the 18.6 million Bitcoin in circulation are not up for sale. Hodler. <clears throat> the good news, a vast majority of the 18.6 million Bitcoin in circulation are not up for sale. This wave of new demand from large capital allocators will have to fit through a pinhole of available supply, which re will result in a skyrocketing Bitcoin price as Bitcoin undergoes the transition from a predominantly individual slash retail driven asset into a global monetary asset with geopolitical implications. A $200,000 Bitcoin would equate to about $3.7 trillion in assets. So still, just a fraction of the current market value of gold, its closest monetary competitor. Yeah, but that's like a third of gold, dude. That's not like a fraction. Anyway, while nothing in this world is a guarantee, it is quite a good bet to place, uh, to place that politicians and central bankers will continue to operate following their basic incentive of printing money, as well as there being an extremely strong probability that the Bitcoin network will continue to attract additional adopters as more rational individuals around the world come to realize that a system of rules is preferable to a system of rulers. <clears throat> Man, that sounds like anarchism. Thus, with all of these factors at play, $200,000 Bitcoin is not only in the cards, but it is my opinion that it is highly, highly likely Regardless of what the price action of Bitcoin brings in the coming months of 2021, it is important to remember, quote, history shows you it is not possible to insulate yourself from the consequences of others holding money that is harder than yours. Saifedean Amu from the Bitcoin standard. So there you go. If you didn't get bullish after that one, then there's no hope for your ass. <clears throat> now, somebody's got a green pill, the uh, Miami mayor. He's going off the rails, guys. He's, he's, he's calling Bitcoin mining dirty. So he clearly doesn't know enough about Bitcoin to understand that 74% of Bitcoin's mining energy comes from renewable resources. Please, please, please tweet at his ass all day and tell him that the following headline is incorrect. 90% of Bitcoin mining comes from dirty energy, Miami mayor says. Oh, Francis Suarez, dude, you letting me down, bro. Helen Parts, writing this one for Cointelegraph. The majority of Bitcoin is mined outside of the United States using dirty energy, Miami mayor Francis Suarez has claimed. Suarez discussed the environmental implications of Bitcoin mining in a March 26th episode of the Unconfirmed podcast with cryptocurrency journalist Laura Shin. Well, I was going to be all sneaky and, and, and put in the clip of it's going up forever, Laura, but I'm having some technical difficulties because my internet is slow as Christmas and I can't, I cannot record or, or download that particular file, uh, in, in a decent amount of time. Anyway, you know, honestly, it doesn't really matter. I mean, it's going up forever, Laura. Oh, by the way, I'm, I'm launching a new sleepwear line called forever Laura, because when you don't want to wake the fuck up and want to sleep forever, you wear forever, Laura. Okay, let's continue with the whole Suarez thing here. Um, the official argued that the U.S. would improve this situation by providing its renewable clean energy supply to Bitcoin mining centers and data centers. Quote, we get nuclear power, so we have clean energy, a clean energy supply that's essentially unlimited. <laughs> Miami could set up a Bitcoin mining hub as part of this national security environmental conservation goal, Suarez said, adding, quote, 
It would be to the benefit of the crypto community if we did more mining in the United States because we produce clean energy. So it would change that narrative and that dynamic. And also in the future, you will see solar and other kinds of clean technology. In my opinion, technology is going to make Bitcoin mining more efficient. Well, duh. Suarez is known as a major proponent of the crypto industry in the United States, backing multiple crypto initiatives in Miami, including proposals allowing Miami residents to pay taxes and receive salaries in Bitcoin. And then he goes on a little bit, or it goes on a little bit more about the massive energy in, uh, stuff. Now, okay, for, for those people uh, like that are really freaking out that he's going in with this narrative, let's, let's look at it from a completely different set of lenses. <clears throat> what, if, what if Francis is thinking about it this way? He knows full well that 74% of the energy that Bitcoin consumes is coming from renewables. He knows full well that the majority of the energy that is coming into Bitcoin mining is clean, no matter whether it's coming from China or otherwise because of the incentive structure that is set up around Bitcoin. What if he's doing this because he sees the writing on the wall at the federal level? There are going to be a, a whole green thing, okay? You, you and me and Suarez together are not going to stop what's coming out of the federal government. The squad and AOC is going to push their green agenda. They're going to they're going to suck down as much tax dollars as they possibly can to initiate grants and subsidies and anything that they can around green jobs, green energy. You ain't stopping it, okay? If you thought you had a hope in hell of stopping it, you were wrong that's okay. It's, is it stupid? Yeah. It's fucking dumb as shit. I mean, I don't, don't get me wrong. I don't want to just start mowing over trees and burning them and shit like that, but come on guys. I mean, the, the, you know, hysterics is one thing and common sense is quite another. And we are clearly over the line into just generalized hysterics at this moment of time. Right? So here's what I think he's doing. I think he's playing both sides of the fence. Why? Because he's a politician that got elected to be the mayor of Miami. You don't do that because you accidentally stumble into it. You do that because you're a back, you can be a backstabbing, you know, conniving, you know, maliciously, brutally smart individual. That's how you become mayor of New York, mayor of Chicago, mayor of Miami. You don't do it because people just quote unquote love you. You do it because you're able to maneuver, right? I think Francis is maneuvering. I think what he's doing is he understands what I understand, that you ain't stopping this green movement coming out of the federal government and it's gonna just wash over your ass. So you might as well figure out a way to get the pipeline of fiat bullshit money to flow into Bitcoin, no matter what you gotta say, no matter what you gotta do. I mean, it's not that I respect it. I wouldn't tell you the same thing, but one of the premises of this show is to to remind people continuously that Bitcoin is for enemies. And that does not necessarily always mean everything's going to be hunky-dory. They might not be the enemy that you wanted. You know, you, the enemy was like, well, drug dealers can use it. Yeah, dude, Bitcoin is for enemies. Well, politicians can push a green energy agenda in Miami because of Bitcoin. Ooh, I don't like that. Well, too fucking bad. Bitcoin is for enemies. However enemies are going to use it is how enemies are going to use it. And you ain't got shit to say about it. However, you can become part of the solution. And one of those solutions is called Ring of Fire. No, this is not an advertisement. It's a group of people on Telegram that are really taking up the mantle of 
Podcasting 2.0. And it's, it's not just Podcasting 2.0, but I do believe that that may have been the initiator. No, 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 no. What these people are doing is they're designing a set of lightning channel rings. Let me just read you here from the GitHub. Ring of Fire. Lightning is based on cooperation, but it is common that channel openings happen one-sided, i.e. you are not in direct contact with your channel partner. To strengthen cooperation and form strong partnerships, we have devised the concept of a ring of nodes. We dub the ring of fire. It serves as a template to bring node runners together and lift each other up. Working on a common goal forms communities. If complications arise, participants can quickly reach out and receive help. The connectivity of each node increases significantly as every other participant adds their channels to the outside. We are also currently investigating how and which data we share within the ring. This insight could give ring operators an edge over the rest of the users within the Lightning Network. So, a ring shows the following characteristics. All nodes together create a closed circle of channels. Each node opens one channel to the next in a clockwise manner. All channels within the ring are the same channel size. Ideally, nodes of higher capacity connect to nodes of lower capacity to distribute capacity along the ring. Channels within the ring are either all private or all public. All nodes are reachable through Tor. For easier rebalancing, a service such as lightning2.me can be in the center of the ring. Optional, participants within the ring can create shortcuts between, between each other to make the ring more resilient. Multiple rings. Rings can form connections. Preferably, the touch points of two rings should be the role of a reliable node runner with high capacity. So, <clears throat> what does all this mean? Well, think of it as a set of rings, like one within each other, okay? Let's do that. And at the very center of the ring is like the highest capacity channels. And as you, and like, so like, let's say point, uh, 100,000 sats uh, size channels in the middle. And there's like, let's say 10 node, nodes in the, in the middle of the ring. They all have, they all do, they, in clockwise fashion, one node runner opens a 10,000 sat channel or a 100,000 sat channel to another a node runner who accepts that channel and then opens another channel of exactly 100,000 sats to another node, not, not back to the same guy, but to another one and then another one and then another one and, another, and then the ninth person opens up a 100,000 sat channel to the guy who initially started the channel opening at the, at the first of the ring, which now you have ring closure. So now bump out one more ring. 200,000 sats done the exact same way. And then you bump out 300,000 sats and, 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 and it, it goes around until you get to like, I don't know, I think they're talking about a, a top end of 1 million sat channels. Now the rings at certain points break off and there's a connection point between like the 1 million sat ring and the 900,000 sat ring. And then from the 900 to the 800 to the, and then from eight to seven, and you see how it goes all the way down to hundred thousand. So now the rings are not only concentric around each other, but they are interconnected at a depth that amazingly enough, this seems it would provide almost any type of capacity you can possibly imagine. Again, this is called the ring of fire, right? 
Um, you might want to hit up some people, like uh, uh, people on Twitter, because I don't know if I'm supposed to share. I don't want to share the GitHub repository that I'm looking at right now. I probably should just go ahead and say fuck it because this is important. But without, I, I just don't want to do it without actually asking some of the guys over in the Telegram group, which is also why I'm not given the telegram group address because I, I had to be invited to it. So I don't want to overstep my bounds, but I do want you to know about ring of fire. So if you want to know more about it, get on Twitter and start asking people what the hell ring of fire is. And I will almost guarantee you, you'll find somebody who will direct you to the telegram group. And at that point it's on, but this is Probably one of the more, this is probably just as important as the original Lightning Torch. If you remember that little game that Hodelinot started, which is in fact what pissed Craig right off and got his ass sued. Um, anyway, Ring of Fire, go to Twitter, ask about Ring of Fire, DM me, and I will see if I can't get some of these guys on the line so that, that uh, more people know about this. Because we need we need all we need node runners, and this is just starting. Okay, this is brand new, so we're you're not late. Okay, this is only like a couple of weeks or you know a few weeks old, so we're cranking it up. Uh, you know, oh shit, we got to run the numbers. CNBC Futures and Commodities has oil, or at least West Texas Intermediate, is up 0.89 of a percent. Brent North Sea is up a full point. It'll cost you $65 for a barrel of that. Natural gas is likewise up almost a half a point. $2.56 is going to grab you a thousand cubic feet of the smelly stuff. Uh, Shiny metal rocks getting hammered into oblivion as normal. Gold down almost a half of a point. $1,726 buys you an ounce of that shit. Silver getting pummeled by a point. Platinum is actually up almost a half. Copper is down a third. Palladium is down, ooh, my, I hope you don't hold palladium, 2.88%. Ooh, that is a nasty burn, bro. Indices all pointing to the downside. You want to guess what's up? We're coming to it. Dow futures is down a half. S&P futures down a half. NASDAQ futures down a quarter. And the S&P mini down over a half. So what was up? Yeah, the yields on all the damn treasury bonds. I mean, everything. The 30, the 10, the 5, and the 2-year futures are all up to the upside. Not a whole lot, but they're all in the green, which has this nasty tendency to push commodities down unless you're oil. So I don't know if this oil thing has something to do with the uh, boat that's blocking the uh, Suez Canal, which by the way, as of this moment, they say that it's almost out, that they've almost got it where it's pulled off of its bank. They've got the back end floated. The engines are on. It looks like they've been able to swing it around to where part of the canal is actually open from the picture I saw. So maybe this mess goes away. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. And I also don't know if this is what has had the effect on oil prices and natural gas stuff because everything is to the upside on that. On that. But because bond futures are up, those should kind of be down or squelched and they're not. So the macroeconomic landscape is just, uh, well, it's on fire is what it is. And as is the Bitcoin price at 57,775 bucks. Yeehaw, boys and girls, we're getting back to it, bitches. 264,057 transactions were performed in the last 24 hours. That's only 11,000 transactions being performed on average per hour. 
but 311,877 Bitcoin were sent in that period. <clears throat> and that means that about 13,000 Bitcoin were sent on average every hour with the average transaction value being 1.18 BTC and the median transaction value being 0.013 BTC, which is low because it's about 755 bucks. Normally it's over a little over 900, but whatever. Block times are low, nine minutes and 21 seconds. We have 0.34, or sorry, 39 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis and 60.78 BTC being taken in fees overall in the last 24 hour period. And with a 2.38% drop in hash rate, we are still at 171.15 exahashes per second. The shitcoin indicator over here is Dogecoin and is at 5.4 US pennies. That is 5.4 US pennies. There's your shitcoin indicator right there. Uh, Clark Moody has is showing 40, well, 50,000 transactions are waiting to onboard 91 blocks to clear. We have gone back above $1 trillion in market capitalization. We are at 1.09 trillion, which is 9.72% of gold's market cap. And one Bitcoin will buy you 33.7 ounces of the shiny metal rock if you so choose. 18,667,686.34 BTC are in circulation at this time. Clark Moody showing a price of 58,300. We have 1,172.07 BTC in the Lightning Network, and that has a value of 68.3 million US dollars on 10,162 nodes running 40,982 channels. The Tor capacity has clicked up to 56.0%. Good job, ladies and gentlemen. That means that 656.76 BTC is sitting on the light on the Tor side of the Lightning Network, which is being handled by 4,332 nodes that we know of. That's gonna do it for Vitals. Okay, in the background, you may hear a rooster crowing. Why? Because I moved the chickens from the south side of the house to the north side of the house where, my, uh, where our studio is. So I'm literally sitting one wall away from a rooster that's crowing who is going to probably end up being stew uh, by the end of this week. I mean, I hate to do it. I don't like killing animals. But he's getting to the point where he's scraping the backs of the female hens and it's causing them stress. And it's my responsibility to take care of them, too. So I don't like killing them. I don't want to do it, but I'm going to have to do it. But for the next couple of days, <clears throat> while I get shit ready, um, you might hear shows that has rooster crowing in the background. No, it is not a sound effect. That son of a bitch is real about as real as the Indian government is because they're telling companies to disclose their crypto holdings. A Aiken Gink or Jenk is writing this one for Decrypt.co. While the Indian government mulls a ban on crypto, it's tightening the screws on existing regulation. The Indian Ministry of Corporate Affairs said on Wednesday that all companies incorporated in India must disclose crypto holdings and dealings effective April 1. Executives in the Indian crypto industry representatives told Decrypt that the government's recognition of crypto holdings is a welcome move, though the rule change shouldn't be interpreted as hope that the government's uh, tabled motion for the crypto ban is set to fail. In addition to crypto holdings, the new rules, which update the country's Companies Act of 2013, 
require companies to disclose the total profits or loss on crypto transactions as well as any deposits or advances received for crypto trading. Nichelle Shetty, CEO of Warix, is a crypto exchange that last month recorded trading volumes of $2.3 billion, told Decrypt that the new rules indicate that the government is willing to understand the extent and size of the crypto sector. Zakil Shurish, founder of crypto fantasy trading app Superstocks, explained that the extra scrutiny on crypto holdings is due to Bitcoin's price, which is now too high to ignore. So Heal Merchant, CEO of the Indian crypto exchange PocketBits thinks it shows that the Indians that India's government has come a long way. When he started his company in 2016, it took him several months to get approval for registration as the company documents uh, mentioned Bitcoin, something the government didn't officially acknowledge at the time. But things are different these days. Quote, regulators now understand the importance of embracing crypto. God, I hate that word. The issue that looms large remains the prospect of a potential ban on crypto. In late January, the Indian Parliament tabled the Cryptocurrency and Regulation of Official Digital Currency Bill 2021. The bill sought to ban all private cryptocurrencies, save for certain unnamed exceptions, quote, to promote the underlying technology of cryptocurrency and its uses, end quote. That initially fueled much anxiety across the Indian crypto industry, but the industry representatives told Decrypt earlier this month that they breathed heavy sighs of relief when the finance minister appeared to tone down the government's previous position. Minister Sitharaman said the government will allow a window of experiment for crypto, which they interpreted as a change in tone because he mentioned crypto, not just blockchain. Since things are so tense, any ministerial statement or any new government directives, such as the new disclosure requirements, are examined for hints about how India's parliament may vote on the crypto ban. This one is no different. Siddhartha Sagani, who heads the Industry Pressure Group, the Association for Blockchain Crypto, told Decrypt, that the new disclosure rules are nothing special. Quote, it's basic data collection by the government and it can go either way, he said. But any recognition is better than being totally ignored, said Jagdesh Padja, chairman of Block on Capital, a blockchain advisory company. Quote, while this does not suggest a full-fledged regulation through legislation yet, such small steps still matter. So they're, you know, it's hopium. They're ta- that's what they're doing. They're taking gigantic hits of hopium, just hoping that their government doesn't just outright ban this shit. Is Bitcoin going to care? Yeah, there's going to be a price drop if they do. And it's going to come back because nobody's... Essentially, Bitcoin doesn't care, but it will sneeze. Uh, that's all I got to say about that. Let's move on. Norwegian billionaire ditches skepticism and invests in local crypto exchange. Marie Huliet writing this one for Cointelegraph.com. Norwegian billionaire investor Ostein Stes Spetelen made a 180-degree reversal in his opinions about cryptocurrency this month and now owns part, or now he partly owns a domestic crypto exchange, exchange called Mirai X. Within the same month, Norwegian billionaire investor uh, said, that said that BTC was a nonsense currency revealed that he has joined the board of Norway's top domestic crypto exchange, MiraiX. Spetland's former position was that cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin should be immediately banned by the Norwegian and European authorities due to the destructive effect that mining, ha- <laughs> mining them has on the environment. In a pre-recorded interview screened at the DNB Investment Conference, he said... 
Bitcoin today consumes as much energy as all of Norway. It is extremely environmentally hostile. Ooh, it's violent. The authorities in the EU should ban it immediately and you'd cut CO2 emissions considerably. It's just nonsense. We're doing well with the payment systems that are in place today. Yeah, Bitcoin's not a payment system, asshole. Jesus. Yet by March 26th, in an interview with Norwegian newspaper that Spetland had changed his tune. When the facts change, I change. I met the Mira X founders Thuck and Oyvind the day after the podcast was recorded early in March, and I realized that I had been wrong. End quote. Norwegian cryptocurrency exchange custodian Mira X just raised 5 million kroner, which is about half a million bucks, in late 2020 to further expand its operations. Aside from investing in a successful local exchange and joining its board, Spetland has now apparently bought Bitcoin, although in a lesser quantity than fellow Norwegian billionaire Krell Inge Røke has, disclosing his unspecified investment in the top cryptocurrency. Spetland said, quote, when I also read that Kjell Ingeroke had gotten into Bitcoin. It was quite obvious. I can't bear to see that Rocky makes more money than me. <laughs> Jesus. Greed. It's a hell of a drug, man. Rocky serves as chairman of the $6 billion industrial holding company Acre ASA, which set up a dedicated unit for investing in projects and companies in the Bitcoin ecosystem in early March of this year. The unit has been initially capitalized with 500 million kroner or about $58.6 million and plans to keep all of its liquid investable assets in Bitcoin. It has also recently been revealed that the $1 trillion Norwegian government pension fund, also known as the oil fund of the world's largest sovereign wealth fund, indirectly owns almost 600 Bitcoin through its investment holdings. So a second Norwegian hops on the boat and starts fishing for the Bitcoin. Nice. Now, in the annals of stupid, we have New York Governor Cuomo launches blockchain-powered vaccination passports. When stupid meets totalitarianism, you get exactly this from Cointelegraph, written by Brian Quarmby. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo announced the launch of the city's blockchain-powered Excelsior Pass vaccination passport on March the 26th. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, it's Excelsior. The passport is issued through a free and voluntary platform that verifies COVID-19 vaccinations or negative test results via QR code for smartphone scanning or printing. The Excelsior Pass is intended to assist the process of reopening businesses and public venues across New York and adding a kiosk at every one of them, basically saying, papers, please. Fucking East Berlin is what this shit is, pal. The vaccination passport is built on IBM's blockchain-powered digital health pass, which enables a user's identity, identity, vaccination history, and test results to be verified and securely shared without revealing unrelated personal information. In the announcement, Governor Cuomo emphasized the importance of utilizing technology to reopen in a way that caters to both public health and the economy. Quote, as more New Yorkers get vaccinated each day and as key public health metrics continue to regularly reach their lowest rates in months, the first in the nation Excelsior Pass heralds the next step in our thoughtful science-based reopening. Papers, please. Steve LaFleche, general manager of IBM Public and Federal Markets, pride in assisting New York's plan for reopening, stating, quote, IBM is proud to support the state of New York, with its efforts to apply innovative technologies to help residents and communities respond to COVID-19. 
Cuomo first revealed the plans for a blockchain-powered vaccination passport on March the 2nd, following a successful trial of the system at a Brooklyn Nets NBA game the previous week. Now, it should not go unnoticed that this is IBM. Why is that important? Because IBM is the company that worked with the Nazi regime to develop the numbering system that they used to tattoo and track Jewish Holocaust victims. That's right. If I mean, Hugo Boss basically built their, their uh, and I have to say, killer-looking uniforms. Mercedes-Benz and BMW provided them with vehicles. IBM provided them with the technology to track the people that they were going to gas and then throw in ovens. And nobody says a word about it. And yet here we are, you know, 75 years later or so, or whatever it is, <clears throat> and IBM is doing the same shit with the same evil people. Just let that sink in. It's like, it's like humans just refuse to learn. Eh, I'm not even going to read. The, okay, look, I'm just going to skim over this. Visa plans to allow partners to settle fiat transactions with crypto. The real news here is that they've incorporated USDC and they've done a transaction. The problem is that transaction that they did was with Ethereum. I don't really know how much the Visa execs know about the history of monetary policy and Ethereum and what they've done and how badly and poorly they fucked everything up. I think that they don't know. I don't think that they know anything about the history of the Dow and the rollback. I don't think they understand anything about the, ch the continuous changes in monetary policy. I don't think they understand that every single day Vitalik seems to be reacting to the dumpster fire that is his scam coin. So I don't get it. So, but the good news is, is that Visa is working, you know, basically is working Bitcoin, but now they're doing the USDC thing. So, I mean, is it good or bad? Well, hell, I don't know if it's good or bad. I'm just saying Visa's jumping in. Here's what I hope. I hope Jack Mallers buries Visa, American Express, and MasterCard all in the same mass grave provided by our good friend, Nick Carter, the violent. Now, CFTC demands British crypto thief pay fine of $571 million. Benjamin Reynolds solicited, solicited more than 20,000 BTC from his victims between May and October of 2017. Uh, the bulk of the penalty is a $420 million fine with the additional $142 million to be paid as restitution to the victims. 20,000 Bitcoin is a lot of money. Today, with Bitcoin hovering around 55,000, it comes to over a billion dollars back at the start of summer 2016, uh, sorry, 16. 2017, when Reynolds began his scam, the price of Bitcoin was around 1,500 bucks or just under a 36th of its value today. Purportedly from Manchester, North England, Reynolds targeted around 170 United States citizens through a make-believe company called Control Finance. Using a website, various social media profiles, and email communications, Reynolds baited them with a mendacious promise that he'd trade their funds on online crypto markets and return a profit for them. He constructed an elaborate lie telling victims that he'd use specialized virtual currency traders who generated guaranteed trading profits according to the statement by the CFTC. So, dude, if you got scammed on this, you may get something back, who knows. But, you know, what, what jumps out to me is that 
this is about the 170 United States citizens that got scammed. You do business with a U.S. citizen, dude, we are weaponized. If, if I were you, I would stay as far away from us as humanly possible because if we are going to transact in any kind of money, somehow or another, that makes you liable for if I get pissed. Dude, I'm, I'm telling you, man, the United States citizenry has been weaponized against the rest of the world. They say they're working for us, but what they really want is to rule the world. And that's going to do it for uh, Morning Roundup. All right, no sound effects today. We are going to have Daily Train Wrecked, and it's going to be brought to you by the duo, the dynamic duo of Laura Shin and Peter Brandt. Laura Shin, it's going up forever, Laura, says, to the people tweeting at me, have fun staying poor, and that I actually do regret not owning Bitcoin for now, I'd like to say that, one, I'm having the time of my life, and I consider myself rich in many, many, many things that other people do not have. Just not BTC for now. Is that the train wreck? No, not really. She already had her old train wreck with Michael Saylor. Holy shit, dude. He torched her. God, it was so violent. No, the train wreck portion comes from Peter Brandt, who says, BTC is absolutely the wrong way to find value in life. I trade to live rather than live to trade. Bitcoin makes a very bad master. No, Peter What makes a bad master is that you only see life through the lenses of trading in a fucking casino. That's your problem. That's your train wreck. You deal with it. The fact that you can't see Bitcoin for what it is because all you can see is an asset that that must be traded is becoming a laughable subject. You want to go trade? You go trade shit coins and you go trade your your stonks, okay? Because it's all a casino. That was proven with Wall Street bets. The whole thing is a casino, right? Now, humor time. God knows we need it after that shit. Um, Let's see here. Uh, What do you call a ghost chicken? A poultry geist. I know, man. I completely failed that one. I failed you. I failed. It's okay, though, because it's coming to the end of the show. We are actually over the end of the show. Uh, Monday starts a brand new week. God only knows what's going to happen this week. But I do remind you that for Christians, it is Holy Week. Yesterday was Palm Sunday. Next Easter, or next Easter, next Sunday will be Easter Sunday. So this may be a good time for contemplation. You know, even if you're not a Christian, maybe what, what does Easter mean? Is it, I mean, it's, it's in the spring for a reason about birth and renewal and the ability to come back from the dead and, and all, you know, all kinds of things to go through the trials and tribulations and be able to, to keep your chin high and, and just get berated and laughed at and pointed at and rocks thrown at you and then strapped to a fucking cross and then baked out in the goddamn sun at a place called the place of the skulls. I mean, talk about a bad day, right? Well, you know, if you're a Bitcoiner, you've seen them. Now, it wasn't that bad. I'm not going to make that comparison, but it has been pretty bad. I mean, getting laughed at all the time, only to be vindicated, only to have people like double down and laugh again when they're clearly wrong. I got a friend that's been wrong about Bitcoin ever since he started talking to me about Bitcoin. He's always wrong. 
There is nothing that the man says that has ever been correct about Bitcoin. It is the most infuriating thing I've ever seen. It's like he does like knows absolutely nothing about how it works and yet will pontificate for hours about how I should quote unquote, just like Laura Shin, maybe you should take some money off the table. For what? Just like Michael Saylor was saying, if you haven't seen the interview of Michael Saylor and Laura Shin, I only watched the part where he says it's going up forever, Laura, but um, I, I might watch the other, the other part, but it doesn't, I don't think I'm going to because it seems that Michael Saylor feels that he's wasting his time talking to Laura Shin because she just doesn't get it. You know, he tells her, take money off the table for what? What money are you talking about? It's like, is there any idiot in Venezuela that would sell their U.S. dollars back into their local fiat? Because that's what you're suggesting. And he gave multiple examples of that. But that's all you need is just that one thing. And he's right. Would you really, if you were a Venezuelan today and you had a stack of a hundred, like a stack of hundred dollar bills, would you go down to the Bank of Venezuela and trade that shit in for your local currency? No, no, you wouldn't. That's why Laura Shin is getting the shit as of this weekend and probably throughout the next, this, the remainder of this week. I'm sure memes will be born and die. My personal favorite right now is Forever Laura, the sleepwear for the stupid. I don't know, man. Hey, look, I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.